It's great to be with you. I've so enjoyed worshiping Jesus with you tonight. It's been my pleasure to meet some of the leaders in one or two meetings this week. And uh, now to be here, I've been looking forward to it. I pray that we can have a great time together and a real impartation of truth that does us good. Uh, Wendy and I have been cared for magnificently. Uh, we're so grateful for the generosity of your hospitality, staying in a magnificent place, enjoying your beautiful scenery. I mean, why wouldn't everybody move to this area? It's just absolutely beautiful, and uh, we're, we're thrilled to be here. And I want to be a blessing to you, and we're going to be looking at the theme of grace, uh, which for me was life-changing when I first understood that wonderful theme. Having been a Christian for some years, initially terribly backslidden, and then a kind of crisis of faith, which resulted, and as far as I knew how, giving myself to God, but always kind of working at it, trying to make sure that somehow I'm accepted, somehow I'm doing enough. And then I just suddenly saw the grace of God. It was like the clouds parted, and I saw something. I felt, hey, did I see something? And it's like the clouds closed again. I felt God whispered in my heart, yes, you did and I'm going to persuade you of its truth. And it was a bit like the believers in the Gospels where it says they heard that Jesus was alive and they couldn't believe for joy. And uh, grace came like that to me. It was life-changing, and I pray it will be for you. I'm going to start in the book of Romans. We'll be in Romans this evening, and tomorrow, actually, briefly, we'll be in Romans. And uh, it's hard to uh, kind of interrupt the Apostle Paul uh, so, I'm just going to take one verse out from Romans 5. Paul kind of argues all the time, and therefore, and so, and therefore, he builds a case, keeps on arguing the way through, and uh, in chapter 5, you'll find that he is comparing and contrasting the results of Adam's disobedience and Jesus' obedience, and how that affected all the people who are identified with either Adam or with Christ. And that whole chapter is saying their action completely affected many, many people. And Paul keeps on going from one side to the other right through the chapter. I'm just going to read one verse, which is typical of the whole chapter, and then we'll get down to it. Okay, so Romans 5 and 17. I'm reading from the NASB. You may have an inferior translation, but... <laughs> It won't be very different. Okay, Romans 5, 17. For if by the transgression of the one, that's Adam, of course, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here. We celebrate you, Lord Jesus. Our eyes have been focused upon you. We're so grateful for all that you did for us. Lord, we can hardly take it in that you would come from the glory and live a human life and be crucified, take away our guilt and shame. Lord Jesus, we, we think you're wonderful and we celebrate you together. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to come and be our teacher right now. Come and speak to us. Come and make your word come alive in our inner being. Do us good here tonight, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the verse says that we...
who receive grace and righteousness reign in life. That's a very vivid phrase, to be reigning in life. I wonder if you feel, hey, that's an echo of who I am, kind of on top, reigning, uh, uh, successful, reigning in life. Uh, it's not the only verse like that in the Bible. It says all elsewhere, he always leads us in his triumph. Elsewhere, it says we are more than conquerors, not just conquerors, more than conquerors through him who loved us. These are kind of extravagant statements. And yet, this is what it is to be a believer. You'll just find verses like this tucked into the New Testament right through. This is the Christian. This is the believer. He's reigning in life. He's more than a conqueror. And yet, you know, sometimes we feel that, that sounds good and that's what I feel I should be enjoying. Uh, but I just don't feel I'm quite there, and I want to be there. And that can come sometimes at a special season. Maybe you go away to a conference or something, you put everything else aside and listen to the Word, and and you get stirred, you get maybe kind of convicted in your heart. Think, Lord, I want to be different from now on. I want to do better. I want to reign in life. That's going to be my goal. It may come at the end of the year. You may come to the end of a year. You look back, think, Lord, I'm sorry about that. That wasn't what I intended. Uh, you get yourself a new diary, and you think, well, I haven't messed up one page yet. There's a whole, there's a whole year. Uh, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to reign in life. And now, that's terrific when you get a fresh stirring, a fresh motivation. We all need moments of motivation that stir us up. And it's great to get that. The sad thing is this. Very often when we get stirred up, we don't read the small print. We don't read what it says. And so we say, well, how am I going to reign in life? I know what I'll do. I'll, I'm, I'm going to set my alarm clock back earlier. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going, I'm going to pray longer. I'm going to set myself to pray longer. I'm, and and I'm, I'm, going to read, I'm going to read the Bible right through this year. I'm going to read it right through. Why didn't I ever do that? I'm going to read it right through. What is it? It's like 1,400 pages. Okay, so uh, uh, divide that by 365. Right. I am going to read however many pages a day. I will read my Bible this, this year. I've got to do it. I, I knew a guy who lived in the States, actually, and he said, I set myself, I'm going to witness to one person every day. I'm going to do it. I said, he, one night, you remember, he was just exhausted, going to bed, putting his head on the pillow. I thought, I haven't witnessed to anybody today. <laughs> so, so he got up, got dressed, and went searching the streets to try and find someone. Because he's got this rule he's going to live by. He's got these, these things he's going to do. If I, if, I can, if I can keep these rules, I set myself the rules. If I can keep the rules, I'll reign in life. If I can do this stuff. And in the moment you take that line, you're off center. Paul says this to the Galatians. He says, you who'd be justified by law have fallen from grace. Now, it's interesting. When we use that phrase, if we do at all, about, oh, no, I think he may have fallen from grace. We usually mean he stopped coming to church or something. You know, he's backslidden. He's fallen from grace. But the way Paul uses it is this. You've fallen into legalism. That's what he's saying. You who be justified by law have fallen from grace. You've fallen into rules and regulations. That's the way you've gone. You've missed the boy. You've missed the point. You've missed the way completely. And actually, it's good for us to remember, why did, why did Paul write his letters to the Galatians I've just quoted from? 
What, what was that letter all about? Well, actually, it's Paul's angriest letter, even, even more upset than the, with the Corinthians. He's furious. He says, who's bewitched you, you fools? He speaks to them so strongly. Why? What's happened? Well, this is what happened. Paul went to Galatia. He preached the gospel. Many became converted. Many became filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in Galatians 3, there were signs and wonders. The church was full of God. The Spirit had come amongst them. And Paul is doing this great apostolic work, gone to a new territory, preached. Many have been saved. Many have been filled with the Spirit. The presence of God is filling the place. And well, I've done it. It's done. He's done his apostolic work, which is to lay that foundation, establish that community. He goes on to another town. That's what apostles did. They'd go on and do it again somewhere else. And when he moved on, what happened is this, that some Judaizers, this is what the Bible teaches, some Judaizers moved in. Well, who are Judaizers? Well, they're Christians probably, but people whose roots are deeply back into old covenant teachings and still very much affected by them. And they come in at the Galatian church and they say, hey, Hey, this is great. You Gentiles have accepted our Messiah. This is excellent. Well done. Well done. We're pleased that you've accepted our Messiah. Our prophets told us in the Old Testament that Gentiles would put their trust in our Messiah. This is great. We're so pleased. Um, but uh, there's some things you need to know. I mean, we've been living with them for centuries. We know what God requires. So welcome in. Um, but if you want to make sure all is well and that God really is pleased with you, that you're really accepted, um, some, we, we can help you with some stuff. And they came in like that. They said, for instance, uh, you must keep the feast days. You must celebrate the feast days. And uh, you mustn't eat that kind of food. And um, you need to be circumcised. And uh, you must keep the Sabbath. And what they did, they... they added in all these things from the Old Testament that they felt would make sure all is well. And Paul is furious because he says, no, 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 by adding to the gospel, you're actually undermining the whole thing. You're taking away the wonderful certainties involved. You're confusing the people of God by trying to add stuff in order that they might be accepted when Jesus has already done that. And the Holy Spirit's presence and the signs, the wonders, the miracles, our demonstration. God is already happy with these yeah. people. He's in the midst of them. And yet they were getting confused. And if you read right through Galatians, he argues it again and again. again. So don't do that. Don't go back into that. You're going to miss the point tragically. You'll find it's not only in Galatians. It's in Philippians and Colossians and right through Romans. Don't get confused. Now... For most of us, we don't feel, you know, you're not told to keep the feast days. Uh, no one's asked me to be circumcised. You know, that's uh, the Old Testament stuff. But what you can find is you become a Christian. Like for me, I, I came completely out of the world. My parents were not believers. I hadn't got any background. I'd never seen a Bible in my home. But my sister went to London. Billy Graham came to London. She came home and said, I'm a Christian. She led me to the Lord, and I became a Christian. Hey, it's all new to me. Everything's new to me. And, you know, people can come alongside and say, hey, you became a Christian. Yeah, yeah, I did. I'd love to help you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, you must read your Bible every day. 
Okay, got it. Thank you so much. That's really helpful. And um, you must pray every day. Okay, got that one as well. Um, and uh, I shouldn't really do your hair like that anymore. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And uh, I don't think you should really wear that kind of outfit. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I, I feel so wonderfully set free. Uh, and for some of us, right from the beginning, we're not quite sure what happened there. Did I get accepted or did I pick up a load of responsibility? What, what actually took place? And Paul wants us to be absolutely clear about this. And so he says in Romans 6 and verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now that's a bit of a radical statement. You're not under law. Jesus said the law will never pass away. How can we not be under law? It's a big question. I think if I were to ask here tonight, how many believers here tonight feel that Christians are under the law? If I, if, if, if I were to ask that question. You know, if you think Christians are under the law, raise your hand. Or if you think Christians are not under the law, you, I think if I were to ask these questions, I think many of us would be going, uh, uh, what's Mark doing? Oh, yeah, okay. That's what. <laughs> Because we're not so sure about this one. Because Jesus said the law will never pass away. So what's this about? Well, let's just turn the page, if you've got your Bible open still, to Romans 7. We'll read just a few more verses. Romans 7, where Paul, I think, most succinctly sets out our relationship with law and puts it clearer than anywhere else I think, although the whole of Galatians is about it. But here we're just talking about half a dozen verses. So Romans 7, I'm reading from the first verse. Do you not know, brothers, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. If her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead." in order that we might bear fruit for God. Verse 6. Now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. Okay, let's look at this. So Paul is giving us an interesting illustration, a kind of picture language, and he's saying that the law is like our husband and we're married to him that he has authority over us. And the opening verse says, don't you know, uh, uh, the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Here it is, we've got this relationship, this husband, this, this law is, is telling us what he requires. You should not do this, you should not do this, you should not do this. So this husband has authority over us. Uh, and you can't really argue with him because he's right. The law is holy and pure and good. You can't say, oh, I disagree. Because it's right. 
Now, just to say this, and we'll come back to it, I just need to feed this in. The Bible says this, that the devil is the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses us day and night. All right? I don't know if you think of Satan like that. You may think Satan's downtown. If I stay away from downtown, I won't meet Satan. No, the Bible says he accuses us. His name, Satan, means accuser slanderer. He's after you. He's always going to speak against you. He'll speak at you. He'll try condemning you. That's his chief weapon. His chief weapon. He does it day and night. Right? We'll come back to that later. But he gets behind this thing that we're married to this husband who has this high level and is saying to us, his wife, this is what I require of you. And you can't argue with him because he's right. So you're married to this husband who's always right and, and, and somehow you're feeling, well, I'm not sure I can live to his standard. And one other thing about it is this. He never lifts a finger to help you. So I can't see too many wives out there. I think he's talking about you, dear. No. He doesn't actually come to your aid. doesn't come to help. just tells you what he requires. And Jesus says this. The law will never pass away. So you are married to a perfect, fault-finding husband who's always right, never lifts a finger to help you, and he's never going to die. <laughs> well, welcome to religion. I mean, this, this, is, this, is, this is what Paul says. Now, if you read this passage, it looks like this guy needs to die. That, that looks like, if you read it, that's what it looks like. He's the problem, he needs to die. Jesus said he's never going to die. So where do we go? Well, verse 4 is amazing. Verse 4, Paul suddenly kind of turns the thing on his head by saying this. You, my brothers, were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Now, it's very important we get hold of this. Not that the law... See, Paul doesn't argue with Jesus. Jesus said the law is not going to pass away. Paul says this. You have died to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? It means that something happened through Christ that affected us. Jesus had two relationships with the law. The first one was perfect obedience. Jesus obeyed the Father. He obeyed the law. He was innocent. That's the word that describes Jesus. He was innocent. He stood up one time and said, which of you finds fault with me? No one could. No one could. He said, the devil's coming. He's got nothing on me. Nothing. Jesus is totally innocent. So he's got that relationship with the law. He can live at peace with the law. He's holy and pure. He is God himself. He, can, he lives this life. So he's got a perfect relationship with the law. But then we read this. that When it comes up to the cross, the Bible says this. God made him who knew no sin... There it is again. He knew no sin to be sin for us. To become sin. He became, Jesus Christ became the personification of all sin and evil and shame and falling short of the glory. He bore it in himself. He became that personification. God made him to be sin for us. Then what happened? He hung on the cross and the law found him guilty judged him. He died once for all to the law. The law is vindicated. Jesus is condemned and we were crucified with him. 
Hallelujah. We died to the law through the body of Christ. The law lives on. Our relationship with it is gone. We've died to it. It's finished. It's all over. Because we were in Christ. The law is vindicated. The law is great. We couldn't keep it. Jesus died in our place. And Paul says, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. The law can no longer touch me. It's over. It's finished. It's done. It's behind us now. In, chapter, uh, in the same chapter, verse 6, it says, we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. So we serve in newness of the spirit, not oldness of the letter. Right, we've died, we've been discharged. The, the word there, it says released in this translation, it could be translated discharged. It's the word that you would use if uh, someone was doing national service. Maybe you have to go in the army for a couple of years and, and you're just ordered around, you're shouted at, you do whatever uh, the officer or the sergeant major tells you to do. You know, left, right, left, right. Tell, yes, okay, okay, okay. You do the whole thing. And then there comes this wonderful moment. You're discharged. It's over. It's finished. And uh, I can imagine a soldier, and he's strolling across the parade ground. He's got no tie on. He's got a jacket over his shoulder. He's just kind of slouching away. And, uh, and the sergeant major turns the corner and says, Hey, soldier! He says, ah, Sarge! Hey, wait a minute. I'm out of here. Bye, Sarge. And it, and it doesn't matter how much he shouts at you, he can't touch you. You know, the veins can stand out on his neck, but he can't touch you. Because why? I'm discharged. That's what it says. We've been discharged. Hallelujah. So the law, Paul says elsewhere, the law is good, providing you use it lawfully, knowing it's not for the righteous but for sinners. All right, so the law can keep on being preached. God's holy requirements can keep on being thundered out there. But the believer, it said it's not for the believer, it's for the sinner. Because why? Well, we've already died to the law. It's history for us. So what does it say in chapter, come back to verse four again. You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that, so that, it's not the end of the world, so that, you might be joined to him who was raised from the dead. Now, we're using marriage language here. We've died to that husband so that we can be joined, married to this one who's been raised from the dead. Well, who's that? Well, Jesus, of course. So we've died to the Lord so that we might be joined to Jesus. In order that what? In order that we might bear fruit for God. Now, Fruit hasn't been mentioned before. That's a new thought, fruit. See, the law didn't make me fruitful. The law showed me I'm a sinner. The law showed me I fell short of the glory of God. The law says in Galatians, is our school teacher, better modern translations would say, it's not school teacher to lead us to Christ. It's more there was a servant, a slave, in the, in the Roman world, the Greek world, and his job was to collect children and take them to school. And he was a paedagogos. He used to collect the kids, and the drawings of him make him a pretty harsh guy. He's always carrying a stick. And, and he's leading the children to school. And Paul says, no, the law is our 
pedagogos to lead us to Christ. He can't, he didn't make us fruitful. He showed us we were bad and wrong. And he does it to bring us to Christ because we need someone to save us so that we might be joined to him who was raised from that we might bear fruit. You see, it says in Galatians 3.21, let me read a very, very important verse to you. Galatians 3 and 21, it says this, if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have come by the law. Right? If a law had been given that could impart life. If the law could do that. I mean, if the law can do that, let's go downtown. Let's get in all the schools. Let's tell them the law. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall just tell them. That'll change them. Paul says, no, no, no. It doesn't impart any life. It doesn't actually change anybody. It just shows them that they're sinners. And so Paul says, if, an, if, if a law had been given that imparts life, then righteousness would come by the law. But the law doesn't impart any life. He's an impotent husband. He tells me what's required, but he doesn't impart any life. He doesn't change me from inside. And Paul says, look, we've died to that husband that we might be joined to him who was raised from that, that we might bear fruit. Ah, I found a potent husband. I found a husband who imparts life. Jesus said things like this, my peace I give you. Wow. My love, I pour it out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. My joy, I give you. Wow, this is a better husband. This is a husband who imparts life. He changes me from inside. The Lord just shows me where I fall short, where I can't do it, where I'm a failure. It's good and right. I can't argue with the law. It's, but it can't change me. So some people say, ah, oh, Terry, this is very dangerous. You need some law. You, you come on, what are you saying here? We're under grace, not law. If you have no law, you'll get into trouble. Listen, the law can't do it. The law can't change me. It says in Hebrews, the law made nothing perfect. It can't do it. And so what sounds wise, or you must have some law, it sounds wise, but it's wrong. The Bible plainly says it's not the answer. See, some people, uh, you ask some Christians, how are you getting on? Oh, a bit up and down, a bit up and down. I feel sometimes it's not up and down, it's kind of husband to husband. They don't shake free, the husband to husband. How are you getting on? Well, I'm not so good as it was. And Lord Jesus, I'm really sorry. I've not done so well as I wanted to do. Uh, now look, Lord, from now on, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. Then you'll be pleased. Eh? It's like saying to your new husband, we didn't do so well. Okay, I'll tell you what, I'll really cultivate my relationship with my old husband. That'll help, won't it? No, it won't help at all. Jesus said, I am the way. I don't need a way to the way. He's the way. Even to the church at Laodicea, when they're growing lukewarm, you may be familiar with that. In the letters of the Laodicean church, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I'm outside the door knocking. If any man hears my voice and opens the door and really works hard at the rule. No, no, it doesn't say that. It says, if you open the door, I'll come into him. I'll sup with him. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the one who changes me. Not by the letter which kills, 
but the spirit that gives life. And so our departure from law religion is absolute. It says in Colossians, let no one take you captive. See, that was trying, they were trying to take, the, these Judaizers were trying to take them captive, trying to pull them back. He said, no, 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 you're free. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand fast in your freedom. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That's, that's Paul's clear statement. And, and so often, beloved, you'll find Christians struggle with this. They think, well, surely I ought to. And, and so I ought to be under law. But no, 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 no. Jesus came to set us free. He said on the cross, it's accomplished. It's finished. He fulfilled the law. He came to fulfill it. He came to absolutely accomplish it. He died to the law once for all. Thoroughly fulfilled it. And hallelujah, we were in him when he died. My relationship with law is over. I do not need to go to law to meet God. I come to Jesus. He's the life imparter. He's the one who changes me from the inside. And it's so important that we see this distinctive between these things. You see, we very often battle with this thing which I call condemnation. Often Christians, how are you feeling? Well, I feel a bit condemned. There are often people feeling that. And they're doing that by often taking their own pulse. How am I getting on? I'm not doing very well. So I'm going to try harder. So uh, let this right arm represent our kind of awareness of condemnation, of not doing well. And we try to cover it over. So it's like I'm praying harder. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading my Bible more. And Satan's accusing. And he said, you're a shocking Christian. Well, I'm trying harder. I do this. And it's like I'm trying to cover condemnation by my development of my sanctification. You see, working harder, trying harder, I'm doing better. And then Satan says things like, I'm trying, I'm doing better. And then he says, have you heard about Jenny? No, what about Jenny? She fasts twice a week. <laughs> oh, no. Fasts twice a week. I've got to do that as well. See, then you pray, you read your Bible, you fast twice a week. See, notice you don't fast twice a week. See, I'm doing that now. I see what happens. Then Satan says, you're doing better. Yes, I'm doing better. I expect you're pleased. Yes, I'm pleased. I expect you're very proud. Yes, I'm, oh no, I'm very proud. Oh. And some people think, you can't win. Christianity is too hard. You can't win. It's too difficult. And they've missed this glorious good news. This glorious good news that I am not justified by law. The answer to condemnation is not sanctification, to just use some theological words here tonight. It's not sanctification. It's called justification. Justification covers all guilt. Justified freely as a gift. Hallelujah. Yeah. I mean, it says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Yeah. A friend of mine said, when I first saw that, I underlined it so much, it went right through to the maps. <laughs> I, there is no condemnation. Because of what, that's why we love Jesus. That's why we celebrate Jesus. 
That's what makes Christianity different to every other religion. He has done it. He's taken away my guilt, my shame, completely, completely. It's not down to me. When I said, I suddenly saw it, I thought, oh, Lord, is that possible? Yes, it is. It's the good news. It's the good news. And so we don't, we don't justify ourselves. We receive it as a gift. See, if we, if we don't get hold of this, beloved, we're forever taking our own pulse. How am I getting on? Am I making progress? I, 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 and we, we forget what Jesus has done. We, we remember it sometimes in worship meetings, you know, no condemnation, now I dread, hallelujah. But then we so easily forget it and slip backwards. So let, let me pretend I, I'm, I'm one of the wives here, okay? So you go home from the meeting, say, yes, thank you, Jesus, I'm right with you. Next morning, well, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I'm going to pray. I pray, I pray for my husband today. Uh, I'm one of the wives here, okay? Lord Jesus, bless my husband today. Um, let, let his light shine for you in the workplace Lord, you know he's a good man, and I just pray that he, Lord, give him opportunity just to make you known, and he's such a good man. I want to encourage him. I, I'd be, what could I do? It'd be nice for him. I, I know he'd like, he'd, he'd love a steak, I think. Maybe I could go. I'll go, I'll get a steak. I'll, I'll surprise him. I'll surprise him. Yeah, tonight, I'll go. I'll get a nice steak for him. I know what he'd like. I, I, that's, then, then Satan comes and says, Praying? Oh, yeah, I was praying. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, sorry about that, Lord. Uh, uh, yeah, I was praying. Um, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, the missionary supper. Uh, the, missionary, um, the missionaries uh, on Friday, Lord, when the missionaries come uh, to tell us what they're doing, uh, Lord, uh, I do pray, Lord, as they tell their stories about what they're doing and that, that new school they've opened up and... Uh, Lord, I just pray it'll really, uh, you'll bless that missionary supper. Oh, the supper. I, I said I'd do the salad. I haven't got the salad yet. I'm, I'm, I must get the salad. Oh, I know, I know. Well, I get the salad, I could get the steak at the same time. And that would be real fun. And, uh, and I'll, I'll do that. And then I can have the salad already. And, and I can do the nice steak. For, and then Satan comes and says... Oh, mighty woman of intercession. <laughs> are, are you prevailing in the heavens? You think, prevailing in the heavens? I'm useless. I can't pray for toffee. I, I, I better do my Bible reading. Where, where was I? Oh, yeah. I was 13 days behind, wasn't I? I remember. Yeah, I remember. Oh, yeah. I got... I got to Leviticus, I remember. <laughs> then, the, the priest shall remove from the sacrifice all the fat of the bull of the sin offering and the fat which covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails uh, with the two kidneys with the fat that's on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. See, then Satan says, getting a lot out of it, are we? <laughs> uh, and you say, well, I don't have a clue what it's all about. <laughs> so so then, you, then you think, I'm a useless Christian. <laughs> See, last night, oh, I love you, Jesus. We're doing fine here. This morning, something terrible must have happened. No, no, you just slept through the night, right? <laughs> and now, now you are assessing 
your relationship with God, not by the triumph of the cross and the resurrection and who Jesus is, but on how well you're doing. And you may say, I'll probably have a terrible day today because I had a shocking quiet time. See, what people talk about the means of grace, but very often it's like duty you have to perform. And we miss the point. You say, Terry, don't you read the Bible? Yeah, I do actually. I'm preaching verse by verse. I love it. I love it. But I don't read it to impress God. I don't say, hey, whole chapter today, Lord. Pretty impressive. <laughs> Made notes as well. You know, prayed for half an hour this morning, Lord. Get marks for that, eh? Good, good. See, I'm not trying to impress him. I'm hidden in one who's already impressed him. I found someone who's already impressed him. I'm free. I'm free. He's done it. He's done it. Beloved, I love to pray. I honestly, I can honestly say that I love to pray. But I don't do it as a duty. I don't do it to impress God. See, legalism, you're doing things to gain merit. And Paul says this in the Philippians. He said, the tragedy of his contemporaries is this. They're going around trying to establish their own righteousness based on law instead of receiving the righteousness that comes by faith. They're trying to perform, to get acceptance through performance. And that was the tragedy of Galatia. His people, I mean, the Spirit of God is there. People are getting healed, signs, wonders, miracles. This is a glorious church. And these people come in and say, oh, no, you've got to keep these rules now. Look, you mustn't do this, you must do that. No, they're missing the point completely. And they're going to undermine the beauty of the gospel. And that happens to many of us. And we get confused. We become grace law people. We don't know who we're married to. And we need to understand this an amazing thing. Just one more thing before we close tonight. It says, we reign in life through the abundance of grace and, and the free gift of righteousness. So righteousness is given us as a gift. As a gift. Even in the Old Testament, we're prepared for this because in the Old Testament, they were told they should bring a perfect lamb to the priest. So they would go and get their lamb and they bring the lamb to the priest. And when they bring their lamb to the priest, all eyes are on the lamb. Okay, It's not, I do hope the priest doesn't notice this is all torn. I've got all mud on here. It's irrelevant. All eyes are on the lamb. And the priest takes the lamb, and it mustn't be diseased. You look in the book of Malachi. God says, you promised me this. You give me your sick creatures. You offer what's sick. What? No, no, you've got to offer a perfect lamb. It has to be spotless. And they bring their lamb. And, and the priest would look. Is it blind? Has it got any broken limbs? Is it diseased? Everyone's looking at the lamb. And when he's inspected the lamb, he would, he would use these words. I find no fault in him. Hallelujah, there's nothing wrong with my lamb. My lamb is perfect. Even Pilate said that. I find no fault in it. There's nothing wrong with our lamb. That's what makes us accepted. I was, I was praying once. Honestly, this happened to me. I was praying once. And as I was praying, I felt God reminded me of an Old Testament story. And I'm sure you remember it, that Isaac was getting old and blind. And he had a son whom he really loved called Esau. 
He was his favorite son, could do no wrong in his eyes, as it were. His wonderful son Esau, hunter, big guy. Jacob was his other son, who was a crook and a cheat. And one day, Jacob wanted to get a blessing from his blind father. So he came to his father's presence, and he put on his brother's outfit. He put on his brother's coat, his coat, put it around him. He put hairy skins on his wrist and around his neck because his brother's a hairy guy, and he's pretending to be the son that the father loves. And as he's coming to his father, he's hoping against hope that the father won't say, hey, what are you doing in there? Hey, get up. No, he's wondering, will, he, will I get away with this? And as I was praying one day, I felt God said to me, do not fear as you approach me hidden in the son that I love because I placed you in the son that I love. Chapter one of Ephesians, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings because we're hidden in the son that he loves. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when I pray, I say to God, it's like, look, feel, feel. Just think of his obedience, Lord. Think of his gentleness. Think how he followed you right through to the cross. That he learned obedience. He bore it all. He drank the cup. He said, I've been appointed to this. Lord, catch the fragrance of him. I'm hidden there. All the beauty of Jesus is accredited to my account and your account. We're hidden in the one that he loves. That's where we get all spiritual blessings. That's one of the reasons it's so easy, if I put it this way, to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it's free. And it's because we're hidden in the beloved and we get all spiritual blessings because we're hidden in him. And sometimes you pray for people, go down and receive the Spirit, receive the Spirit. You come to someone and say, I don't think I'm worthy. I say, I, I, of course you're not worthy. Well, how I, well, I think perhaps God wants me to wait till I'm, how long are we going to wait? Do you think it's a reward? No, no, no. It's a gift. It's a gift for feeble people. Like Simon Peter said, no, I don't know him. I'm not with him. And he cursed and swore. Oh, get a reward for that. No, he's a needy, hopeless Christian. He needs some power. And he gets the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. It's free. It's free. Because he's in Christ now. He's in Christ. We receive because we're hidden in the righteousness of Jesus. Beloved, it just takes all the strain. We reign in life because of this. We reign in this because Satan can't get you under anymore. See, just, he, he, he took all the handwriting that was against me and nailed it to his cross and took away all the power of the accuser. Disarmed all the principalities and powers by nailing all my guilt to his cross. Satan can't accuse me. It's like Satan saying, I know about you, I'll take you back. You just need to say to Satan, how, how far back would you like to go? Shall we go to the cross? No, don't go there. He's done it. We're free. Jesus took our place and gave us his righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One more thing I was reading about John Bunyan. John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, a Puritan, he said he saw a vision one day. Fascinating that Puritans saw visions. He saw a vision and he said, I saw Jesus as my righteousness. He said, I realized in that day, I don't have to trust in my frame. That's their language. 
We sometimes sing that old song that actually been set to modern music these days. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Frame, it's like my frame of mind, but they would use that language, how I feel. I don't trust in my frame. Do I feel good? I feel bad? He said, I realize. He said, Jesus Christ is my righteousness. If I, if I feel good, I can't add to that. And if I feel bad, I can't take away from that. Because Jesus Christ is my righteousness. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. When, when, when I wake up tomorrow morning, Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Even if I sleep through my quiet time, he's my righteousness. So you've got to know that's true. He is my righteousness. It's much bigger than how I feel this day or that day. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I dare not take any notice of the crummy frame. When I think, oh, no, Jesus is un my unchanging righteousness. The good news is very good news. It's not good advice, it's good news. He's done it, he's done it, he's done it. And Paul says we reign in life through the abundance of grace and this free gift of righteousness. So when we wake tomorrow, hey, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. I didn't have to do anything. He did it. He did it. I receive it from him. I celebrate it. I enjoy it. I believe it with all my heart. I enjoy God's smile and God's favor. We read in Hebrews that Old Testament priests, they could never, they could never sit down because they had to offer another sacrifice then another sacrifice. And they contrast that in Hebrews where it says, Jesus sat down for by one offering he has perfected for all time those being sanctified. He's done it. He's done it. We reign in life. Beloved, if we haven't understood that before, I'm praying you grasp it tonight. You say, what about this? What about that? Well, we'll look at some what about tomorrow. For instance, well, shall we carry on sinning then? Yeah. I mean, that's something. If he's happy to call me righteous anyway, wow, do what I like, can't I? You think, shall we carry on sinning? Where have I heard that before? Oh, yeah, that's the next chapter, chapter six. <laughs> See, the gospel creates that question. It creates that question. If you, don't, if you preach legalism, you never, you never create that question. Yeah. If you say, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not, no one's going to ask you, shall we carry on sinning? Of course not, 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 not. <laughs> but if you preach grace is free, righteousness is a gift, then the question arises, well, shall we carry on sinning then? It's the next verse. We'll look at it tomorrow. We'll look at it tomorrow. It's the right question. It's a good question. We can answer it. We can answer it. We can fill in the picture. We can fill in the picture. You say, well, it sounds a bit dangerous what you're saying, Terry. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds crazy. It's free. It's scan the gospel is scandalous. Yeah. It's scandalous. Yeah. But, you know, well, tell us. The no, no, I'll tell you tomorrow. <laughs> so, so, see, this, this is the important thing. This is the important thing. If I tell you quickly what it says in Romans 6 tonight, we kind of get confused. What I will say tomorrow will fill in the picture, but it will not take away from anything I've said tonight. This freedom remains. The freedom of the gospel remains. 
But I, I thought once, I thought God spoke to me about this, and I felt God said, no, just, just keep the things. It's like when, you're, when I was at school as a child, we used to do watercolor painting. And the teacher would say, now, get the color and get a, a little color and a lot of water. Because kids tend to, you know, they paint the sky, blue streak across the top. No, no, a lot of water, a little paint, I just go down, let a blue wash right down the page, that's the sky. Nice light blue, a blue wash, okay? Do that. Tomorrow, we'll do, what do you mean tomorrow? Or well, tomorrow, we'll paint a tree and we'll paint some, no, no, we're on a picture. That's just blue. I want to paint the picture. No, we'll do that tomorrow. Why? Well, when it's dry. You see, if it's not dry, you've got the blue, and then you say, right, I'm going to paint a brown tree. <laughs> and you get your paintbrush, and you go into the blue, and you go, and it goes, <laughs> the paint just goes, it's not a tree, it's just, it, it's got to dry. Then you can paint your brown tree and your green leaves and all the rest of it. But let's let this dry. Your righteous is a gift. Your righteous is a gift. One last verse, back in chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, Death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. This is the phrase I want. Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. What do we mean a type? What's a type? Well, many Old Testament characters and events typify Jesus. They're a type. If you like, David, the warrior king, is a type of Christ. Moses, the shepherd of Israel, is a type of Christ. Some would say the ark was a type of Christ. You have to be in the ark to be saved. In the Old Testament, you'll find images that are a type of Christ. It's kind of giving us a, a message. And here it says, Adam. Adam is a type of Christ. Well, you don't think of Adam as a type of Christ because Adam was a crook and a sinner. So how can he be a type of Christ? It was a type of Christ in this, that what he did affected the whole human race. And we become what the Bible calls children of disobedience. It's in our character. He ruined us all. We came from his stream. He messed us all up. His sin, it just affected us all. I mean, I've got five kids. I'm a pastor. They were all sinners. They're just because you know, their kids were pastors. Oh, no, no. No, no. They're children of disobedience. We're all born children of disobedience. We were in Adam when he sinned. And, and, and if we try and get out of Adam by doing deeds, you can't do it. You can't do it. It's like, it's like you go down to the street. There's a, there's, a, there's a little child here. There's an elderly lady here. We just say, hold on, dear. Hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Uh, okay, it's all free. Over we go. Over we go. Have a good day. Watch out for the traffic. Oh, you'd like to go the other way? Okay. Ready? Ready? Okay, come with me. I'll, do, I'll look after you. Take them I can spend my whole day doing good, good deeds and all your righteousness is as, some people know the Bible, filthy rags. All right, filth. If you are in Adam, it doesn't matter how much good stuff you try and do, it doesn't take you out of Adam. So Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to get born again. 
You need radical change. You don't need to try and do good stuff because it won't get you out of Adam. You're still in Adam. That's your problem. You've got to get out of Adam. Now, Adam is a type of him who's to come. He's a type of Jesus. So in what way? Well, now I'm in Jesus. I've been born again. I'm in, this, I'm in Christ. He's my righteousness. Now I can go down the street and there's a little old lady. I'll say, out of my way, I'm crossing the road. <laughs> see, see, now, now, so did that take me out of Jesus? Do you know it didn't? It didn't take me out of Jesus. So what does that make me? That makes me a, a righteous granny basher. You know, I'm... <laughs> It's like, it's like, you know, tomorrow, come and have your pizza, get to the head of the queue, head of the queue, and I'm still righteous, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to stop here. Think, what, leave it all like that? That sounds the most dangerous thing I've ever heard. Okay, you've got one night to live outrageously. <laughs> tomorrow we're getting to Romans 6. Tomorrow we're getting to Romans 6. Shall we carry on sinning then? Well, we'll get the answer tomorrow. But it's important to know... Hey, we're righteous. Do you know it? It's knowing it, beloved. Knowing it. Paul prayed, as we heard tonight, I'm praying for the eyes of your heart to be open. We might know our inheritance. We might understand what God's done for us. Know the security, the joy of what God has done. We couldn't do it. He did it. We couldn't pay the price. He could. He took away our guilt. He said, it's finished. It's finished. That old covenant is over. Hebrews says it's obsolete. It's obsolete. We now have a new covenant. We have a new husband who's imparting life. He's changing us from the inside. From the inside. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness. It's all coming from our good relationship with our new husband. How do I get fruitful? Get very close to my new husband. Enjoy his love. Enjoy his embrace. John 15, abide in me, I in you. You will bear fruit. I'll make you fruitful. Old husband couldn't do it. He could show you're a sinner, but he couldn't change you. New husband, abide in me, I in you. You'll bear much fruit. My father will be glorified. Transform people. Not the letter that kills, the spirit that gives life. Father, thank you for the good news. Thank you for the grace that you've shown us, the mercy. Thank you, you've made such bold statements in your word. We're no longer under law, we're under grace. Lord, we just celebrated. Jesus, thank you so much that you bore the bitter pain of carrying our guilt when you yourself were so innocent. We just love you so much that God made you who knew no sin to be sin for us. Thank you for freeing us, that we walk free. Lord, let the gospel grasp us, get hold of us, radically change our thinking for your great glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.